when I must. Preparations must be made. It will be a fortnight before we're ready to depart. I would sooner let John enjoy these last few days. Summer will end soon enough, and childhood as well. When the time comes, I will tell him myself. Welcome to the White Book Podcast, the original A Game of Thrones LCG podcast. Founded in 2010 as Two Champs and a Chump, we thought it best to rename and rebrand ourselves freshly just in time for the game to keep the same in the second edition. Tune in each week for your dose of strategy, discussion, jokes, and good old geek culture. A huge thank you goes out to GRRM for his amazing novels, FFG for this fantastic game, Card Game DB for getting us a start, and you, our loyal listeners, for sticking through thick and thin. Check us out on our website, Facebook, or Twitter, or email us at contact at and rate us on iTunes. This CC licensed music is Town by Spence. Time has come. Friday. It is White Book Episode Day. It is. It feels good to be back. It's been a while since I've been on one of these White Books. I was I was thinking about that. It's like I think early December was the last time I was on the episode. Yeah, yeah. Nearly uh, two months by the time this thing airs, I think. Something crazy like that. Yeah, well, it's good to be back. Uh, for those of you who don't recognize my voice, I'm Aaron Glazer's Conscience. Ooh, that is a tough and unforgiving job. It really is. Um, I, I thank you for your appreciation, Will. Yeah, well, you're welcome, Roy. You're welcome. Someone has to do it. Someone does. Someone really does. Well, yeah, thanks for uh, being willing to join us, Roy. I was a little worried since Luke and I took the opportunity to request memes created at your expense for the contest. Uh, I was a little worried you were not going to return. Uh, we only had the one entry, but I thought it was a pretty good one. It was a pretty good one. It, it definitely was. I appreciated it. So, and it was a true story. So, you know, yeah. the best memes are the true memes. So, well, and it worked in everything we like asked for with, with you and cowboys. And I forget, we had a couple other criteria, but uh, it hit everything. It, I mean, it definitely hit my what is it, existential dread that I am William from Westworld. So, oh, you know, you know. wow, <laughs> that's crushing. It is crushing. It really is. So, because he's the worst. Oh. And I don't want to be the worst. Well, you know, you obviously aren't. Otherwise, you couldn't be Aaron's conscience. It's true. But, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a job that doesn't have very many applicants. So <laughs> that, That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know. No competition. Oh. Oh, well, then. What a way to, to kick off uh, this episode. Should be, I believe, 279 by the time folks are listening to this. Um, so... We're gonna we're gonna get rolling. We're we are hot into uh, store championship season, and uh, one of the requests we'd had from from listeners is that we ought to ought to spend some time talking about that, kind of talking about what what we're seeing, whether that matches expectations, what we would kind of recommend that folks do going forward, uh, and you know I I'm hitting up three store championships in the next month, so 
I think that would all be uh, valuable stuff for me to talk about. I'm gonna, gonna try to pick Roy's brain on this. Absolutely. Uh, well, I've, I've gone to one-star championship uh, by the time – what this airs, what, a week after we record it, right? Uh, yes. I, yeah, this one I will be running and going to a second-star championship. Sadly, I can't make the other one in New York this weekend because I have to do my patriotic duty on Saturday. Uh, so I will not be at any of the store championships. But you And I'll be at – No, uh, you know, I've got to go exercise my voice uh, in Washington Jury on duty? Saturday. No, I'm going to be at the protest. Alla and I, my girlfriend and I, are going to be at the protest on Saturday. So, Gotcha. I was trying to do the non-political, well, slightly non-political political way of, of saying that. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. But anyway, I won't be at any in-store championships. But I have been to one, and I've been following it pretty closely because actually I feel – I actually am pretty, pretty up on the – I like the metagame actually where it is right now. I think it's in one of the more healthier places that it's been in. Uh, I in do for think a while. I agree. Uh, tournaments are a lot more interesting depending on what your tolerance for Night's Watch is. Uh, you know, Night's Watch defense, but other, you know, if you can tolerate I play Night's Watch defense, so I'm quite tolerant of it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I think so. I think it's actually a really good place. And I think that's the first place we should start, right, Well, Which is the rise of Night's Watch, which we've been sort of wanting, while well, some people, like Joe, uh, some have... Some people have been very vocal. Yeah, have wanted it to, to rise, and it's definitely risen. Like, I think... If you go to a store championship right now, particularly in the North American meta, you need to be prepared to play against Nice Watch. And yeah, what do you think about that, Will? Yeah, no, I I think so. It, it's interesting to me because it, it feels like at this point with, with Nice Watch in particular that we've kind of had these diehard Nice Watch loyalist players, Right. And, and I, I don't just mean like Joe, we, we've got one here in the, the local meta, too, that that's virtually the only thing he's played for months. And now it's finally gotten these these tools and suddenly he's like, ha, now you guys know what I'm talking about. And all of us, I think, hit kind of a uh, we're so tired of that like point so much faster <laughs> because he'd just been kind of kind of hammering night's watch home for so long that when it flipped that switch into being really good it still felt like we'd been playing against that forever even though it's a little different um you know and other folks kind of want to jump on that bandwagon so i think it makes it feel like this has been kind of a longer thing than it really has been but then of course the announcement of the night's watch box coming up has folks already dreading that so i think i think maybe night's watch is getting a a worse rap, uh, just kind of in commentary than it really deserves. I, def- I definitely agree with that. I mean, the deck is obnoxious. Like, I played it enough. I won a, I won a game night kit with it, and I took it to the store championship, and I did okay uh, with it. Uh, I ran into sort of one of my nat- the natural predators that sort of screwed my day up. But uh, Which you know, one was that? Bear, which we'll get to. Ah, okay. Yellow cards and uh, are a big problem for Night's Watch. And... It's an obnoxious deck. Like, it really is obnoxious. It wins, and it wins pretty easily, which is one of the reasons why I enjoy playing it, because it's not necessarily the most stressful deck in the world to play 
to play, uh, but can win. And I can definitely see why people don't like it. But I think Night's Watch deserved this. Like, it's definitely, particularly Night's Watch Defense, which has kind of been a deck that nominally has existed as the core set, but never really had its day in the sun. There's some really skilled Night's Watch players in the U.S., and particularly in the EU, who have made it work consistently, right? If you look at Stalic events, um, there was always sort of one Night's Watch deck in the cut, but it never really had any of those showings that really make you want to say, oh man, Night's Watch is something I need to tech against. Night's Watch is something I need to always be prepared to see, particularly if you, you know, you always saw it if you were sort of floating in the bottom ranks of the Swiss, but now it's going to be in the top of the Swiss. And I think, and I kind of like that. I think it, it makes you think about attachments. It makes you think about locations and build your deck around them in a way that we haven't really had in this edition of Game of Thrones. And I, so I think I like a Night's Watch dominated metagame because it's different than the Lannister dominated metagame that we had up to this point. It, it is different, but I I would say that it is the deck or, or the kind of archetype, the Night's Watch defense, that I am most worried becomes kind of, you know, an NPE, as the saying goes, a negative play uh, experience. And, and I know that can be a bit of a subjective term uh for different people and what decks uh to apply that to we went round and round with that on a few different decks uh in the past on the show but if i my personal kind of criteria is you know anything that puts you in a situation where uh you're you quit being able to do anything productive um and, and to certain to a certain extent, that's what any deck that's winning does to you. But there are there are definitely games where Night's Watch kind of goes, well, you know, I, I played these cards, I keep playing these cards, but they just they just don't do anything. They don't they don't stop or, or interact with this in a in a meaningful way. So I mean, it's something that I would want to kind of keep an eye on going forward. I mean, I definitely agree with you uh, in the sense that, I, I mean, we I think this show, all of the hosts have been relatively consistent that Night's Watch is one of the factions to watch. <laughs> Since your initial ah. review that you, you and Tommy and Aaron did, which is that the wall in and of itself is a problem card that can, you know, become, for those of you who are 1.0 players, the sort of uh, old way slash uh, HOD uh, Made in Spain decks. Was it, was it Made in Spain? Yeah, right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, decks that Aaron Glazer was one of the people that helped popularize and Tommy won a regional with back in the day. And those decks were somewhat similar. They weren't defense-based, but they were very location-heavy, very char- you know, characters weren't very important if there were very many characters. And it was just a hard deck to beat unless you twisted your deck to beat it. Um, you know, And I, I feel like now like, Night's Watch defense could become like that. But right now it's not there. And it deserves its night on the sun. It's a faction like Tyrell, which is actually doing pretty well in this metagame as well, that deserves a little bit of time in the sun. Maybe after the box, Danny and Nate should take a look at where Night's Watch is. But I think right now, as annoying as it sometimes can be, I think it's in a pretty good place. And I'm happy to see it in the metagame as it is. Well, okay. So the the metagame as it is. Maybe we should maybe we should take a moment uh, and and talk to the listeners about a, a couple things. One being, uh, I think I'm going to define for them uh, what you and I are looking at 
and analyzing as the this meta at the moment and and then two kind of kind of actually take a look at some of those numbers so we're currently looking at the annals of castle black um and we are just looking at competitive events reported there uh, since the release of Ghosts of Harrenhal, uh, the most current meta, and just the the events that are going to be ha having the uh, the kind of upper tier stuff that you're going to start seeing at store championships. I know those are kind of the most casual of the kind of pyramid official pyramid structure, uh, but you're going to see people you know starting to starting to gear up. So there's what 23 events uh, reported under those criteria that's what i've got here yep yeah admittedly not a huge sample size uh so we'll see how well things hold true moving on from here but i mean a couple things more specifically number wise that i i found kind of interesting you're talking about the the rise of night's watch here uh but they're they're actually in uh in second place in um, nearly all of the metrics uh, out, of, out of winners, uh, cuts, and uh, participants, right? Uh, I guess they're tied with Greyjoy for, for second place on participants. But they have the highest qualification ratio, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, for listeners that may not know, Roy, what's, what is a qualification ratio? I know that was kind of the first thing you honed in on. Right. Qualification radio is uh, sort of the chance of making the cut if you bring this faction. Uh, that's probably, I guess, the most simple way to do it. So if you have a positive qualification ratio like Night's Watch does right now and Tyrell and things like that, that means you have a higher chance than the number of participants to make the cut if you bring that deck, that faction. Uh, if you have a lower, that means you have a l lesser chance. There we go than the number of participants. So factions like Martell, which we'll turn our attention to, which has a very, very low qualification ratio, it's, it's, it's negative 1.96, that means that despite the number of participants, you have a very slight chance of making the cut if you bring Martell. And that's a really good way to judge the strength of uh, a faction in the metagame. This is something that uh, our, our, our friends over at Beyond the Wall, Alex, Alex Hines, the creator of Annals, he, he loves qualification ratio. Uh, and I like it too as a sort of way because I think at the end of the day, w who's winning tournaments? Well, while it's important for the person who wins, the overall metagame I think is better measured by how a faction is doing to get to the cut. Because, uh, you know, you can just run into a bad matchup in the cut and be out, even if you have a really strong deck. Like, a Dice Watch deck can just run into a Barra deck. You know, that could be its first match, and it's not going to win. Uh, even if it's a top deck, even if it was King of Swiss. So, I mean, I do think that uh, qualific qualification ratio is a very uh, useful, very interesting metric. And I would like to discuss those more. But before I forget about it, I do want, want to jump in and say there are some other aspects of the, the metagame at large that I do think are um, uh, better served by also, I think, looking at these other breakdowns. Um, the, in particular, what I'm thinking about is the faction that actually uh, beats out Night's Watch in... Uh, wins, cut, and participant percentages uh, at nearly a quarter of the field exactly for all three is Lannister. Yeah. 
and uh, its its qualification ratio is going to be a negative 0.2, so uh, the closest to zero out of any of ours. But uh, w which, in kind of a vacuum, I think would sound like it is the most balanced out of the houses. But when you look at it in conjunction with being a quarter of the field out of eight houses in all terms of representation, then then to me that qualification ratio with the participation rates make me think, well, no, it is just really like markedly, let's say more consistent than everything else. And the players are recognizing that. The, a, a wider swath of players are jumping in on that bandwagon. And I don't disagree with your analysis per se, but I would spin it in a different way where, you know, I, again, I think in an ideal world, you would want to have all factions as close to zero as possible. And I think what it shows instead is Lannister that despite so many people bringing it, despite its inarguable on a theory crafted way, a highly efficient card pool and having the largest card pool large alongside Stark, it's still not overrepresented. And I think that's a good sign. Well, and that's a it, good it's not overrepresented in, 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 in wins. And the wins. But it's it's overrepresented as a portion of the field. Right. Out of out of eight factions, you know, shouldn't shouldn't we be expecting something closer to, you know, what is it, twelve percent per house? And it's more than double? Yeah, so what um, what I'm thinking though is like for it to be really kind of, kind of equal out of eight factions, shouldn't we be seeing like proportionate representation in in the field at more like twelve percent each rather than you know double that for Lannister? In an ideal world, I would definitely agree with you, Will, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in the world of the cards that Danny and Nate designed. And I think in the world that the cards that Danny and Nate designed in the first two cycles and the Lannister box, Lannister just has an efficient card pool. And it has a good card pool, and you can build a variety of decks, both mono Lannister and Lannister Banner of X. And the fact that we live in that reality and... I think in that reality, Lannister's in a good spot, particularly compared to where it was a few months ago What at, at, at World's Time. I think thanks to Valor, th thanks to the Rise of Night's Watch, which can serve as a check on certain types of Lannister decks, I think Lannister's in a much better place and in a much healthier place for the game than it was before, even if tons of people are still going to be bringing Lannister because of its obvious strengths, both in a practical and theorycraft level. Okay, well, uh, what about some of these other factions? One that really intrigues me uh, is Martell, that you really uh, brought some, some attention to with that negative 1.96 qualification. By a, by a healthy margin, the worst. Uh, and they have no wins uh, to their name in this particular meta. So why do we think that's the case? I, I have a, a pet theory that I think is uh, a big portion of that, but uh, I'm kind of curious if, if it's what you would say. I think some of its natural predators are in decline. Uh, Stark and Lannister not being sort of running away with the meta. And of course, there's the fact that the rise of Night's Watch means that there's a the rise of a bunch of no attachments, which some of the swingy, some of the most swingiest, or some of the most impactful cards that Lannister has, or not Lannister, excuse me, that Martell has, 
you know, those attachments are dead cards, basically, in the Night's Watch matchup. And if you could, is, is a problem. And the fact that I think that Martell hasn't gotten as many tools in the second cycle as other factions. So I think it's just kind of in a bad place right now. And if the metagame shifts a little bit, Stark rises up, Lannister gets a little out of control again, Night's Watch declines a little bit, we'll probably see Martell start doing better. But I think because of the rise of Night's Watch and the sort of balancing of of Lannister by sort of other meta forces, Martell is really just in a bad spot. I I agree. And you you did mention uh one of the things that I think is one of the biggest factors, and that is the no attachments keyword on so many of the Night's Watch characters. Uh kind of the uh, many of the the kind of power swing plays out of uh Martell. Eh, maybe not power swing plays i suppose a lot of a lot more folks wind up thinking of that as a as a blowout put to the sword or something but the real workhorse plays let's say are are those icon control attachments and when you suddenly have i mean what six to eight of those uh is not an uncommon number um that are just blank cards uh against against a house that starts making things look pretty questionable. But I I also think when you throw in the fact that we are in a Valor Mongolis meta now, I you know, I do think that its prevalence is, is not really anywhere near what it was in first edition. But I do also uh, think that now that I've had more time to play with it, uh, Martel is coming out worse out of that uh, matchup than I'd hoped. I, I had hoped the kind of built-in recursion of those icon control attachments would set them up well. Um, but the rest of the resiliency is just not there uh, compared to other houses. I, I think in large part due to, uh, you know, their draw being all character-based uh, causes some some real awkwardness. Um, even even if you're looking at playing one after the Valor, uh, you know, the, the best one is quite expensive uh to to be playing on that same turn so i think i think they're awkward in several angles yeah i think awkward is the right buzzword for martella right now and which makes me sad uh and i think i think it just it needs some more impactful tools i think you hit it on it needs more draw it needs more ways to control the board beyond just the attachments and nymeria because nymeria is more vulnerable now that we have valor and and things like that. So I think Martell just hopefully the third the third cycle is kind to Martell. I think it will be in a good position to leverage Valor because in theory, as you said, Martell should love Valor because so many of its characters are disposable. Besides Ariane, who has a safety valve from uh, Valor and Nymeria. Indeed. Uh, you know, I, I I think it could be, but I think this this cycle has just not been overly kind to Martell and. Uh, with the decks it preys on uh, somewhat also in decline, it's just going to be hit even harder. Okay, so what about then the other house that we have in uh, a negative qualification ratio? That's Stark at negative uh, 1.39. Still, I think, pretty significant. Uh, certainly the two negative uh, values there, aside from Lannister. Uh, are much further negative than any of the positive ones are positive, uh, more than double, which I find interesting, just kind of um, 
numerically, but you know, I'm I'm having a hard time putting my finger on exactly what the issue is that's holding Stark back. I mean, to some extent, you know, listeners of the show know that Aaron uh, just raved about Ward for so long and made that his kind of central contention point for so many character reviews and, and deck building considerations. And yes, it takes a hit uh, with Night's Watch's rise, much like the, the Martell control attachments. Uh, but I don't feel like that's as as big of a piece as it would be for Martell. Any thoughts, Roy? I, I definitely agree with you. I think Stark's the hardest to pin down because I, 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 on a pure theory crafting level, I think that this number is wrong, I guess. I feel like Stark is in a much better place than this number represents itself. And some of that could just be people are more interested in, uh, like Stark is a boring faction right now. It's deck. I mean, look at the deck that won in Stalic. Look at the deck that, Dar- I mean, Dar- and then Dark Nodge a couple weeks later in a Valor meta took, literally the exact same deck and it made the cut like i mean stark is not particularly interesting people tend to play more interesting decks in store championship seasons uh particularly when with newer cards which stark you can build a a a good stark deck with no cards from the second cycle in it which i think the stalic deck didn't have any cards from the second cycle in it uh you know and so i think stark's boring i think you are hit at that not, nice watch is not it's not a horrible matchup for stark but it's not necessarily a good matchup for stark and it's a matchup that you need to play a lot of to sort of understand like what you need to look for to set yourself up to outpace you have to come hard at the nice watch player uh, with the power challenge and you know and really you know maybe throw in some more things like you know cards like aria's gift ways to get craven off things like fast eddie who's very important stuff like that uh you really need to know how to beat the night's watch matchup which many stark players may not be prepared for right now and the fact that we have barra which is rising with night's watch because barra preys on night's watch barra is also can also be a really bad matchup for stark uh and so we really sort of the forces are sort of pushing against stark a little bit but i do feel like that stark is in a much better overall place than these numbers would be because it still has these amazingly efficient cards this amazing resilience against valor this you know lot and you know stark fealty is just a very powerful deck that you should definitely be prepared to play against if you would like to do well in a tournament so yeah, uh, I I think maybe out of out of that, I think the most convincing argument uh, that you probably presented to me is just the lack of excitement um, with Stark. They're not particularly new, flashy, or experimental uh, at the moment. So um, you know, especially in a smaller sample size like this, folks could just be uh, looking elsewhere. So. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the numbers looking at qualification ratios and actually and wins as well. It basically fits where my gut is, I guess you could say. But so no wins for Stark. Yeah, except for Stark. Gut. Except for Stark is my is my key po- is the last point I wanted to say. Like Stark's absence ah. from there is the only thing that I find much is inexplicable in many ways. Uh, so yeah, yeah. No, I I find it odd. Um, okay, well, just kind of continuing around the, the the color pie here, so to speak, in no particular order at this point, other than it connects to what you were saying a moment ago. What about taking a look at Baratheon? Um, as far as qualification ratios go, they're tied for second place. 
But looking at actual wins, they're tied for last place in total win numbers. Um, and their, uh, their cut and participant numbers are uh, okay, not great. Actually, about where I would expect a split to be for an, any faction game. So, you know, that looking at, at things, I, I think I agree that they prey well on Night's Watch. Um, particularly, you know, Neil, but Robert does good work pushing through challenges with smaller characters around. Or, conversely, I think they can make a real race out of it with Dominance Tech versus oh, yeah, Night's Watch. And, you know, if, if you're staring down a, a wall versus an active uh, Chamber of the Painted Table, uh, the Night's Watch player needs a good bit of lead to really come out ahead of that exchange uh, in the end. Yeah, I mean, the problem that Night's Watch decks have is in some ways the Bear Dominance decks are doing the same thing, except they have good characters and you don't. So right. uh, Because it comes down to the power challenge, which the Night's Watch deck really can't compete with Barra on. And so even if you put a milk on Robert, Robert's going to almost guarantee, can sometimes guarantee dominance by himself without uh, an Iron Throne. And, you know, if you can't get the Craven on Bob, he's going to guarantee a power challenge, you know, victory every turn. And so, you know, Barra can more easily snowball at the things that Night's Watch wants to do, which is slowly accumulate power, win dominance, don't lose unopposed challenges, kind of stuff that uh, it just sort of can make it really insurmountable for a Night's Watch player unless they get it right out of the gate and the Barra player draws really poorly. It, well, speaking of draw, I think that's another thing when you're when you're just comparing a, a game between the two of them, that Baratheon's draw is more consistent is not quite the right word that i want here but at least some variation on superior uh in that once you stick that red keep that's basically it the night's watch player is almost certainly not beating you in power challenges uh and probably not wasting their you know tech on offense and you're not probably blowing a power challenge on your offense that you aren't virtually assured the win on um so then the you know that's two cards a turn versus the night's watch player yes the ravens are good samwell requires you actually participate but you know it, it feels like those night's watch decks can be a little strapped for cash and those ravens just require a, a constant influx of gold to keep it going yeah, no, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. I think the the best term would be a more stable, I guess the bear draw is. Yeah, less uh, resource intensive. Less resource intensive. I mean, the other and then the, this also goes in many ways for the the banner of the stag package because decks like Lanny Stag are also kind of a nightmare for for uh, for Night's Watch. Uh, it's really Night's Watch is great at stalling everything but Baratheon. And that's sort of the natural check. And when people complain about Night's Watch, I always say, just play Bear. Like, if you really hate Night's Watch and you really want to beat them, just play Bear. And you'll have a very, very, very solid and positive matchup. And also does well against Lannister. Like, Barra also does well against Lannister. It can do very well against Stark. Uh, You know, I'd say it's a slightly favored matchup for Barra. I mean, people disagree with me, but I I really do think that Barra is in a really good spot against Stark as well right now. It's pretty good against 
uh, Greyjoy, which is you know a big presence. It's a, it, so it's just really like Barra is a nice safe deck if you don't like the other creatures that are floating around in the metagame. So and people are starting yeah. to realize that even coming to Star Championships, like Barra has always been solid from the core, but people it's also been boring since the core in in the sense that the you know Barra fealty and and various Barra variants are changing more now. These cards, you know, there's new cards in the second cycle, uh, but. So Barrett is changing a little bit, so you see people play it a little bit more. So it just I feel like people because of Night's Watch, I, I really would put it on Night's Watch. Because of Night's Watch, people are feeling more comfortable taking Barra than they were three months ago. Yeah. You know, it you kinda kinda brought me back around to something that I think is yeah, kind of interesting. Uh in that I, I feel like Baratheon here in second edition has really even more fully kind of cemented that feel for me that first edition Lannister had in the last oh say three years or so of the game where it wasn't the the edgy you know out there interesting surprising deck it it came out it did what it wanted to do everyone knew what it wanted to do it played the same type of cards to to keep doing it but what that was i.e let's be honest here neil um just maintains a pretty like steady strong consistent power level against virtually anything because hey everybody needs characters to make challenges uh hopefully full character uh list decks are never quite a thing in in second edition so you know i'm glad folks are kind of coming around on that as well and if if i had to guess uh barring some really wacky you know cards uh in some weird kind of meta environments i kind of expect baratheon to just stay at virtually the same same slice of the the participation rates maybe not qualification that that i think will shift more but uh this kind of right where you expect it to be breakdown and i think another faction uh, or factor rather that makes this faction uh consistent and and solid as you said is crescent Danny and Native made the decision to not print a lot of attachment control, and the fact that Crescent hits just about every problematic attachment in the game right now, from Ward to Craven to Milk to the Knights to the Martell attachments, that's just really good. And it's a night. And yes. again, Crescent creates a nightmare for Night's Watch players, right? Like you have you have to hold try to hold a Milk to get that Crescent. You know, otherwise your Cravens are just dead cards and you start seeing Robert back in challenges and, and things like that. So, yeah, Crescent is another reason why uh, you'll definitely see Barra and Banner of the Stag uh, sticking around in the metagame forever until we get better attachment control. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree with that completely. Well, I've kind of led all the other houses here. I, I, I hate to just drop this choice on you here towards the end, but... Uh... Out of the three remaining, what would you like to hit up next, Roy? I think Greyjoy, because I think Greyjoy kind of had a rough regional and world season, uh, sort of the, and it's had a good star championship season. Uh, it won uh, a Greyjoy Sun deck, won the star championship I went to this past uh, weekend, uh, and they're back as a positive force in the metagame. Uh, I think this has a lot to do with. Greyjoy having some tools against Night's Watch. Stark is on the decline. Martell is on the decline. It has, you know, an okay matchup against Lannister. 
you know, you can have a good. And the fact that it prey like Greyjoy is a great deck for a small tournament because I uh, Greyjoy when it runs hot, like if you run hot with Greyjoy, it can just steamroll people. And you know when you only are running you know maybe six rounds at most for your tournament, you know there's a lot less time for you to sort of get bogged down in the Swiss, which can happen in a larger tournament with Greyjoy. You know if you dodge Barra. With Greyjoy, uh, which can sometimes feel like an auto-lose, you can just run over people. If you draw your card, you draw that Balon, you play him early, you have the tools to survive a Valor, you're good to go. Or, uh, I mean, kind of connected there to the Balon, but uh, as well, a Sea Stone Chair, you know? You get that one good Sea Stone Chair trigger, and everything uh, can snowball down from there. Absolutely. And I, I think Greyjoy... Greyjoy has a lot of the great advantage of feeling kind of new because <laughs> it was so pushed out of the metagame before that, you know, players are kind of interested. Greyjoy's gotten some interesting-ish cards in the, you know, the, the, the second cycle. It, it also provides a nice, safe deck to take to a store championship. Like, if you run into a Valor deck with Greyjoy, you have answers built into the deck. You don't have to necessarily change what your plan is. You don't have to really come up with counterplay. You just, you've got the Risens, you've got the Iron Mines, you've got Vic, you have ways to save important characters. You may be, you may even be the Valor deck yourself. Yeah, you may be. Like, so it's, it, it's, it's in a, Greyjoy's in a pretty decent place and it's probably, I would say, alongside Barra, uh, one of the safer decks that if you're looking to go to a store championship to just take as a relatively straight, its game plan's relatively straightforward. It has some, Put a couple We Do Not Sows in there to sort of help with the Night's Watch matchup. Uh, you are, you know, you're in a pretty, you're in a pretty good place, and you have a chance. You could have also Greyjoy can. This is very thematic. Can flame out though. You know, you could go zero and four if you, you know, run into some bad matchups, which I've seen happen uh, with Greyjoy uh, players at some of the tournaments that we've hosted. Uh, but you know, you also have that chance of just like blowing people out. In a, in a really quick and effective way. And the games are short with Greyjoy most of the time. So that is advantage. true. And it, it really seems, you know, their qualification ratio isn't huge, but they uh, they are tied with Lannister for uh, the biggest actual chunk of winners there at 26%. And I think uh, I think a good, good bit of that is that they're probably facing these Night's Watch decks uh, in the cut. And I think they're they are another house that is pretty well positioned against Night's Watch. I I think it's a game that could be a little more more fluky. You know, if the Night's Watch player hits a Craven early for your Balan, you get the rid Haunted of it with forest. Uh, right. But uh, Greyjoy does have the best options there. Like you said, uh, what's the event now? My brain's shutting. We down. do not so. We do not so. And I actually think the way the the environment is right now that it is entirely reasonable to go back to uh, running a couple copies of newly made Lord for those, yep. uh, those oh, yeah. forest castle blacks, red keeps, maybe less. So the Gaston grays, uh, but, the, but you now have Lannister targets. Like that's the thing, the rise of the, right. These uh, location heavy uh, Lannister decks helps those helps both the, we do not sows and the, uh, the the made lords like hitting someone's tower of the hand Oof. yeah yeah so i think a bit more of it uh, in the night's watch matchup has to do with the timing of when the night's watch player gets their cravens versus your balan 
if you get a couple good turns with him, it it's probably going to be game over for them. Uh, but in general, I think Gradual is shaping up to be really well positioned right now between uh, the unopposed, the uh, location tech, and the saves. Okay, well, I, I think that's probably enough Greyjoy for the moment. Uh, but we've still got a couple couple houses left. What do you want to tackle next, Roy? Why don't we do Tyrell, uh, who is okay. sort of the other new presence, I think, next to Night's Watch, is sort of like a, a faction that's always kind of been in the scrap heap. People have mocked Tyrell as being really bad, even though there have been good players, you know, JC Wama and things like that, who have had some real success with Tyrell, and our own, of course, Luke, but I think Tyrell is starting to it's starting the new the good cards in the second cycle are really starting to pay dividends. Uh, with Brienne and Renly, Tyrell really has the tools to leverage its draw now, and Reigns is very helpful as well to to leverage its draw and 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 it's a, some of its more efficient cards like Marge and and uh, Standy Randy uh, in, a, in in sort of a way that they haven't been able to for close to a year. So it's it's really nice to sort of see Tyrell back, and of course Tyrell plays Valor very well as as well. So it's it's yeah, really that's nice what I was gonna say. That that to me feels like a way to really leverage their card and resource advantage. I've, I've been playing them well. Uh, I was about to say well, but I I have been playing them to some success. Let's put it that way uh, lately, and it, and it really feels like that's been the the turning point for me. I mean, yeah, you know. Renly was good and such, but uh, stuff like the Arbor and Pleasure Barge were were neat, but didn't quite get me there until I had had this capability to kind of offset the the earlier advantage that people are getting elsewhere and, and try to balance that out with Valor and then just keep coming, you know, later to close down the game. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really happy with where I think Tyrell is overall. Uh, it's sort of has a good qualification rate, has pretty very solid wins, uh, very solid, you know, a little underrepresented overall, but, you know, there's a big stigma to playing Tyrell. People look down on you when you when you flip that Tyrell house card, and I'm not surprised to see it a little bit on the lower end, but it's, it's definitely in a good place. I think its repu- representation is going to stay about the same, but I, uh, you may not want to hear this from me, Roy, but I do you think I expect its qualification ratio uh, to go down by the time we hit the end of store championship season? Right now, it's tied for for second there with Baratheon at at, a, at an 0.5, but I I don't expect them to stay there as we get more data points. I I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go down a little bit, but I won't. I wouldn't. I would be surprised to see them go into the negatives where they are right now. Yeah, I don't think they would go negative. Uh, if anything, off off the top of my head, I actually kind of expect Lannister to balance out uh, as we get more into this, and that may potentially come at the expense of Tyrell. They, the two definitely have some some overlap in some of those strengths, but I feel like uh, Lannister is definitely still more consistent. Absolutely. So that leaves us with Targ. A faction I have very little to say about. Uh, I think Targ is kind of in the same place that it was at Worlds, which is solid, if not massively remarkable. 
I, you know, I actually think they're being a little uh, underrated at the moment. Uh, again, in, in the light of kind of this rise of Night's Watch, I do feel like like Targ has some good options there. They've got some good uh, cost-to-strength ratios to kind of keep up on that cheaper end of the scale and, and just kind of get bodies on the board. Uh, Danny effectively negates the, the strength boost of the wall. Um something like like they they already kind of have this theme skewing toward power challenges so they can kind of afford to go all in on a challenge like that to make sure that they win it sure maybe they're not getting them unopposed but then they can they can trigger their their effects and you know something like judicious um and careful use of uh plaza punishment can decimate a lot yeah a lot of what Night's Watch is, is relying on to get bodies in the way. And, and even potentially, you know, the Night's Watch player may be banking on defending with something that a, a timely Dracarys just blows out and suddenly now they don't have a defender. You know, in general, I, I think Targ is a little uh, overlooked at the moment, even though they have, you know, kind of average, understandable representation, you know, at the kind of 10 to 13 percent depending on whether you're looking at total participants or wins uh and qualification ratio kind of middling at 0.29 but i think they're a little better than that so i actually find targaryen right now the, the place it is in the metagame to be very whelming it's neither under nor over it just sort of <laughs> is i didn't realize you were a young justice fan Roy. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm feeling very whelmed by Targaryen. Like, I just don't have a lot of opinions about it. I think it's a very solid faction that the, all the points you made before were, were, I think, very true. It has options for things like Dracarys to blow out the game. It has some control options. It has some aggro options. It can put some pressure on Night's Watch. It can also fold the Night's Watch. You know, Drac is a lot less valuable as a way to guarantee an unopposed when you have things like Haunted Forest, which you can't Drac a Haunted Forest. You know, things like that. So, I feel like Targ is... Fine, and fine is, seems to be its result with winners and its qualification and its representation. So sort of I think Targ, similar to sort of Lannister, is kind of where it should be. It's sort of floating around that zero level with qualification, solid participation. So Targ's in a good place. And I think, I think to be quite honest, Targ really hasn't changed much since the world's meta. So I think that's another reason. Maybe I'm one of those people who is buying the there's not really anything new and interesting, so I don't really care that much about Targ kind of uh, situation. Maybe so. Well, okay. So a- after all this, then, um, final kind of thoughts on the pre or kind of early store championship meta. If somebody asked you what they should play in a store championship uh, this weekend, what would you tell them? Baradom. Baradom. Okay. I think I'm going to go with Greyjoy uh, Fealty or Summer. I'm still kind of... Summer! I like it. Summer. Yeah, that's actually what just won our, our local. I was pretty happy with it. Um, I don't think it's for me at the moment, but I think it does a lot of things that I like uh, in this environment. Well, I always love those counter theme decks like Lannister Winter back in the day, uh, and you know, and Greyjoy Summer or Stark Summer back in 1.0. So I, I kind of love it when people, uh, you know, do those counter theme decks. So that's a, that's a great deck. Oh yeah, 
yeah, I, I think both of our choices will definitely put you where you want to be if you uh, are in the Star Championship season. Which, And I think you'll be in one of the better metas, to be completely honest, that we've had in a while. Because I think the meta going into Worlds was a little to a lot stale. And I think it's a lot less stale now, a few months later. Agreed. Well, there you, there you have it, folks. Uh, let us know in the comments what, uh, what you think. Uh, how are the actual numbers shaping up versus your expectations? And if someone were to ask you what they should play uh, at a store championship this weekend, what would you tell them? And yes, I word it that way in particular so that no one necessarily has to give away what they themselves are actually going to play. <laughs> Props and slops. Go ahead, fearless leader. Okay. Well, hey, I've been sitting uh, on a little bit of stuff. I'm not going to get too deep into things because some of these, man, I wanted to hang on to and talk about when Aaron was also on the show because I know he also reads a good bit of comics. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and throw one of them out there, and that is the one I just finished reading. Uh, It was a Christmas gift from a former host, Daryl Lloyd, uh, sometimes known as Gearhalt, and that was Alan Moore's top ten. Uh, as a nutshell for anyone that that doesn't know, it's basically a uh, superhero uh, procedural like cop drama. Um, basically, the premise is there are so many superheroes in this world that they've all kind of been segregated into their own city. And everyone that lives there has powers uh, or abilities or super suits or whatever, including the just run-of-the-mill beat cops. Uh, and so this follows uh, the goings-on in one particular uh, precinct, Precinct 10, uh, nicknamed Top 10. Uh, and it is just really cool. So many good nods to other comic book stuff uh now i forget who the the artist was uh it looks rather frank whiteley-esque but i don't believe it was still there there's so many neat little places to look in panels for uh sometimes homages to other uh comics sometimes just straight up characters it's just really fun unfortunately the whole run uh fits in one uh very thick trade Uh, I got to the end of it and just wanted more. But uh, I think that is probably unlikely to ever see a reboot, considering this uh, was Vertigo, uh, or America's Best Comics originally, I think. It wasn't um, Vertigo, it was uh, Wildstorm. uh, Well, yes, America's Best was an imprint of Wildstorm before DC bought Wildstorm and made it an imprint. And now the graphic novel was put out by Vertigo. Uh, well, I mean, because when Alan Moore was writing for DC when it owned Vertigo, Jim Lee had to write personal checks to Alan Moore because he wouldn't take DC's money. Like, that's how much he hits DC Comics. <laughs> so, this is why I think it's unlikely that I ever see one. 
more. Yeah, I mean, the question it's it's very unclear of like which of properties more owns the rights to still. I think he still owns League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He may still own Top Ten. I mean, but he's apparently, you know, currently not going to be writing any more comics. So. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's uh, got one more project coming like this summer, is it? And then he's yeah. done. We'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe the gods will speak to him in the intestines of small some small animal he sacrificed, and he'll write another comic book series or something. You never know with Alan Moore. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, top ten is like I mean, it's a classic, I guess, at this point. I mean, uh, yeah, nineteen ninety nine. I had to look it up. Is, so is that when it actually came out? I knew it was issue. set in ninety nine, but first issue came out September nineteen ninety nine. Wow. So, yeah, man. Like. I, yeah, I mean, I remember when Top Ten came out. Like that was sort of when I, right when I got back into reading comics again, early, in early high school. I sort of stopped in middle school and and got into early, sort of early high school. I got back into comics hardcore, and Top Ten was one of the things I read back in the day. So, yeah, it's a great series. I don't know how well it's aged. I I, I try to stay away from from Alan Moore comics these days. I'm, I'm more than a little disillusioned with him, so I, I try to sort of. Uh, keep the memories of what I enjoyed about Alan Moore alive. Cause every time I revisit things, it doesn't uh, hold up as well as I had hoped. You know, he's, a, he's one to me that has held up better than some others. I think uh, most folks that talk comics with me very long know that I've become extremely disillusioned with say Garth Ennis. Oh yeah. Oh uh, man. Oh yeah. And, well, you uh, and I are on the same page there. Will preacher. I can't, yeah. I can't even look. I was actually home at christmas and then like my complete set of preacher trade paperbacks i couldn't even look at them in my high school, in my childhood room i was just like no no stay away i can't i can't believe i used to read that series yeah it's 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 weird you know just kind of out of that i kind of mentally think of them as the like the vertigo authors you know the ones that came really came into it through that those kind of weird books in, in the 90s he's definitely dropped off off of my list while you know only a few others i think gaiman rose to the top for me and i think has stayed there uh as as weird as he is i think i still like warren ellis uh but we'll see yeah i think i think warren ellis like i go back and forth on warren ellis i think i like neil gaiman like late period even though neil gaiman is really young and he's not actually in his late period but i like to think of his more recent output as his late period stuff is not as good as some of his early to mid period. I think sort of Neil. And I can since I've been reading Neil Gaiman stuff since, yeah, I guess in the late nineties. Uh, he, uh, you know, Neil and I, you know, haven't seen eye to eye for a while. But some of the sort of turns he's made in his writing and and fiction choices. So uh, I'm I'm not as big of an admirer of of Neil Gaiman as I was even five years ago. Maybe. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah. That Sandman thing he did, which I only read half of because it stopped publishing for a while and then now is out in the trade. I, I, I don't, oh, the, little, I, it was very disappointing. The new one, I admit to having not read that yet. I didn't. I kind of beautiful. missed the previews of when it was going to launch and I missed the first few issues. And then I was like, well, at this point, I'll just wait for trades and I haven't, haven't jumped in yet. So we'll see. Well, anyway, I, I went uh, off on what turned into uh, quite the the tangent on, on comic both props and slops. So uh, what do you got for us there? Well, 
I will prop uh, New Brand Gaming, which is a store in Brooklyn, which hosted the last New York City store championship that I was able to go to and, and run. They have a really great space. The owner is a really nice guy. So if you're looking for a space to game in Brooklyn, uh, it's a very sizable space. It's very affordable uh, to do there. They do a lot of war gaming. They run uh, regular card game events, particularly, excuse me, they have a big Destiny community that's beginning to take off there. And so I would really recommend uh, you uh, checking that out if you're in New York. And I'm actually going to slop since I brought it up Destiny. I played a sort of sample game of Star Wars Destiny. I didn't really yeah. like it. I'll be honest with you. I did not enjoy it that much. So like, you just played the one game? Yeah, I just played the one. Like, I mean, it, you know, that's one. a sample size of one is not that useful. But it didn't make me want to go and play multiple games to get a real feel of it. I enjoyed the company when I played it, like playing with my friend, with Dan Hall was a lot of fun because I like Dan's company, but the mechanics of the game, I, I wasn't overly, uh, overly fond of it. So I probably will not be buying into Destiny, which I wouldn't do anyway because it's a CCG, but, uh, or a, a CCD, customizable dice, CCDG, I don't know. Uh, I don't who knows? Know. Who knows whatever you want to call it these days. But it's definitely, I know everyone is on the Destiny hype train right now, but I'm going to be a little... Rain on people's parade a little bit and say I, I'm not overly excited for it. Interesting. Um, I'm kind of I, I don't know. The jury's still out. I I picked some up, um, you know, partly because I had some store credit uh, that I I felt okay burning, um, and I've I've only had the chance to play a couple games so far. It felt interesting. Uh, I feel like I really need to play more to make a a full judgment on it but i guess maybe my two main concerns are is potentially seeing things snowball like with a character loss uh and how easy or or how possible it is to come back once you're down a character since that's a a lot of various resources in the game that you're you're out at that point as well as just there's a lot of fiddly bits and, and moving things back and forth uh, once you throw in dice and tokens. And I'm kind of just waiting for that blow up of, you know, Destiny Worlds on stream where people sleight of hand uh, flip some dice to different sides and it's just going to be a huge shit show. And they're not the most balanced dice either. So, you know, they're not, they're not casino worthy dice in any way. Yeah. But I do want to. I do have another prop, Will, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, go I'll ahead. be positive because uh, I don't think I've actually been on the show since I, I played this. But Arkham Horror, I am. I I want to prop that a lot uh, over the nice. holiday. I got to. I played Solitaire uh, right when I when I bought it, which convinced me to buy a second corset, which I'm really glad to because my best friend, his wife, and Allah and I played the whole three corset scenario over the holiday, and that was really fun. Like uh, particularly. I want to give uh, a lot of credit to Nate and his co-designers for the second scenario, which is really hard, actually, with four players and builds uh, tension uh, quite well. Uh, it fits its sort of theme very, very, very well. And, it, and, that's, and, the, and the box, the core experience, does have a really climactic ending as well. So I really, if you like cooperative LCGs and you like the Lovecraftian theming, there's Really, no reason not to buy into at least the core set. Give it a try, except for the fact that it's really hard to get your hands on because FFG, pardon my French, fucked up the distribution again. 
but it is really fantastic game. And I, if I do get a chance to go to Worlds this year, I'm going to tell Nate to his face, and maybe he might even be listening to this, like, he did a really great job. He and his co-design designers did a really fantastic job with Arkham Horror. I don't regret. It's probably going to be my second FFG game uh, now. Nice. So, And you, you're you a big Lord of the Rings guy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Lord of the Rings. It's just a horror Lord of the Rings, I would say. Yeah, pretty uh, much. I've, I've read the rules. I've got two core sets. And the the first expansion, ah, so I'm, I'm jealous. Be building some decks and hopefully getting games in uh, this weekend. I haven't gotten to play yet, but uh, one of our other local Thrones players is is dying to. So we're hoping that you know, along with our store championship gaming in Tulsa and whatnot, that we can fit in some Arkham games. Yeah, I, I, I'm sad. I, I there's no copies of the of the uh, first deluxe box in Philadelphia or New York. So Ooh, I can't get my hands on uh, on it, so I'll have to wait until they reprint it. Have you looked at the spoilers? Yeah, I looked at the spoilers for the the player cards. Okay. And well, yeah, that's that's what I meant. The new Rogue and and new Survivor Heroes look so good. Uh, the new Survivor Hero looks a little above the curve. I mean, yeah. Particularly compared to the Survivor. Well, I I, I I've I've read some theory crafting Survivor in. Uh, the core is, is really good, but on a, on a first blanche, I didn't find her very interesting. So I think actually all the characters but the Guardian are really strong in the box based on the spoilers. Yeah, I, I really dig it. So, yeah, it's a great game. So prop that. Agreed. Well, I think that's it for me this week. Yeah, something about closing a chapter on the danger zone. Is that what we're talking about now? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. 